This is a special episode of the Capital Economics Weekly Briefing, all about what's happening in property markets. Coming up, we'll be hearing about the impact of surging mortgage rates on UK housing and the UK economy, and whether the worst is passed for commercial real estate. But for now, I'm joined by Andrew Burrell, who heads our nine-strong team of property economists. Hi, Andrew. Hi there, David. We spoke on this podcast in January, where you suggested a fairly grim year lay ahead for property markets as rates continue to rise. Since then, we've had a banking crisis and signs of sticky inflation that's forcing central banks to push rates even higher. We're going to be hearing from our colleagues covering CRE and housing in a bit, but for now, broadly, are things looking better or worse than we expected at the start of this year? I I think... Broadly speaking, the background has become worse in, in, in terms of, you know, the general economic conditions and the economic drivers for property markets. Although a lot of that has been concentrated within our US forecasts rather than more broadly globally, which I'm sure we'll come to later. A, a number of our forecasts on both housing and the commercial side are broadly on track still. Although it has to be remembered that that currently we're still only getting scraps of data from the second quarter. And obviously what happened in terms of the US financial system at the end of the first quarter is still, we're still kind of reading the, the, the signs from that. What I would say is that in European commercial markets, things are broadly on track and we think that the worst is behind us. Though, obviously, you know, everything is surrounded by downside risks at the moment. Uh, That's not the case in the US, where we're more concerned just in terms of our our forecasts were downgraded anyway quite significantly after the banking turmoil. But there, I think we're, we're, we're more concerned about the risks in commercial property, particularly in the office market side, where the, the, the adjustment to the new kind of hybrid working world seems to be well ahead of what's, what's been going on in Europe. And on the housing markets in general, what we seem to be seeing is that things are going a bit further in terms of interest rates and affordability, although our, our broad forecasts for, for slower activity and falling house prices after a period when it looked like we may have been too pessimistic now look now look pretty much on track again, I think. By and large, the macro data has been more resilient than we would have expected, given how fast and far rates have risen so far. To what extent has the resilience that we've seen in advanced economies been reflected in property markets as a whole? That data has obviously had an impact, but, but for us... The activity data is an important driver, but it's not the only thing. And and what that stronger data has done is it's made the prospect of higher interest rates and potentially higher interest rates for longer more likely. Real estate markets are very interest sensitive. So I think what you gained in the short term from the, the stronger than expected activity indicators you're, you're, you're potentially losing, you know, later in the year when the economy is still expected to go into recession across most of the developed markets from higher interest rates than we expected before. So I think, you know, the, the, the clearest example of the, of the impact of this was in US and UK housing markets where during the spring, 
the numbers turned a little bit better and the, the, the speed of house price fall slowed down. And I think at that time we were questioning whether we'd been too optimistic about where house prices would eventually end up in both US and UK, where we, we have some fairly big falls in house prices. What's happened more recently is that as concern about inflation being stronger than expected for longer has fed into interest rate expectations, that started to hit mortgage rates and housing markets have started to turn down again. An example is May's UK Halifax house price numbers, where after a run of positive month-on-month increases, we, we, we got a flat number and the, the, the tone of that was somewhat more negative. So I think, you know, it's always natural after seeing a few good numbers to think the worst is over, but we're still not convinced about that, particularly in housing markets. You mentioned these problems in the US financial system, this banking crisis that started in March got to be the single risk event of, of the first half, doesn't it? To what extent is this a US story, though? Well, I, I mean, clearly it increases the risks everywhere. I think in UK and continental Europe, when we looked at those, that there are not the specific problems that we've seen in the US with the, obviously we've seen a number of institutions fail and evidence of a big concentration of property lending in a certain part of the market that may be vulnerable. You know, globally, we do see that the, the, the U.S. problems will radiate and it will make it harder to borrow for property investors, not just this year, but maybe into the, in, in, into the medium term as well. But the crisis that we've seen in the U.S. banks seems to have crystallized a kind of correction in values that we certainly it didn't quite expect at the start of the year. We expected the U.S. to have the, probably the mildest downturn in capital values, still still falling because we're seeing, you know, obviously we're seeing some big interest rate increases and there was no way that the commercial markets could continue on the, on the path that they were on last year when they were really growing very strongly indeed. So we still expected values to fall, but, but we've changed our peak to trough expectations from, uh, you know, from sort of minus 10% to minus 20% at a stroke with the US financial sector problems. Our current forecasts are that the major advanced economy central banks are nearing the end of their tightening cycles and will start seeing rate cuts uh, as we head into 2024 and that those are going to be gathering pace over next year. Does this outlook for monetary policy suggest recovery is coming for property markets next year as well? Things are stabilizing. It seems that the repricing, the, the, the exuberance of last year really has necessitated when interest rates like shot up seems to be you know past its worst definitely in the UK largely so in the in the eurozone but but still a bit to come obviously in the US so i think the worst of the the capital value falls are behind us there obviously housing markets are a bit different there's some 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 lags in there i think there there we will see you know further falls in prices and those falls may be as much, if not more, than we've seen already, um, because affordability for for consumers will likely re- remain very difficult, and a lot of people will be refinancing in 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 the near future. And you know, some of the people who will be refinancing will be affected by what we expect to go on in the economy, which is not a deep recession, but a recession nonetheless. 
So things aren't going to get quickly easier anywhere. Some of the worst may be over in certain commercial markets. And I think the recovery in some ways is is more uncertain than it has been in the past. In the past, we thought it would be relatively swift and that it would carry on, you know, over the medium term and and be, you, you know, notwithstanding some structural issues in some of these markets, relatively robust. I think now we're a bit more concerned, particularly on the commercial property side, where there are a number of uncertainties. One, how quickly rates will come down. We're, we're relatively we're relatively okay about uh, interest rates coming down quickly, but there'll still be a higher rate than they started to tighten a year or so ago. And I think there's also some of these, the legacy of what's happened in the US, and this, this might be felt across the globe and not just in the US, but particularly in the US, that there are some big exposures to property. Lenders will be a bit more wary about giving, you know, about extending loans for property investment. And, you know, whatever happens to interest rates only reinforces that. And the final thing I would say is that that the reckoning in offices seems to be coming much earlier in the US than elsewhere, but that doesn't mean it won't happen elsewhere. I think all the, all the stats that we see show that the hybrid working patterns are, are pretty much entrenched now and that there's unlikely to be a shock change back to going into the office as much as we did before. In that case, at some point, someone's going to say, why have we got so much office space in our portfolios? Can't we downsize one way or another? And at that point, the the value of offices certainly will be affected by that. And I think our view is that it will slow the recovery if there is any recovery in, in, in offices. And it will certainly weigh down over a period of at least five years, given the lengths of, of leases in these markets. That was Chief Property Economist Andrew Burrell on the Market Outlook. Now, it's panic stations in the UK where mortgage rates have been surging to their highest level since before the global financial crisis. On market expectations that the Bank of England is going to have to do more, possibly much more, to get inflation under control. Andrew Wishart, who's the head of our UK housing coverage, has just published an estimate of the damage to the UK market and economy if mortgage rates rise to 6% and stay there. I spoke to him about what we're expecting and what could go wrong, and I started by asking why mortgage rates are rising so quickly. So we always said that the, the big risk here to mortgage rates was that inflation would continue to stay higher than expected and that would cause market interest rate expectations to rise because it looked like lenders ha- had very quite slim margins in that period when mortgage rates came back down after last autumn. So it was always a risk that any you know bad inflation data like we've had w- would push mortgage rates up quite quickly and that's what's happening. We're seeing those increases in market rate expectations translate immediately into higher mortgage rates because lenders don't have much wriggle room in terms of their interest margin. Now, of course, since the, since the autumn, we have seen a sort of stabilization in, in the housing market. So mortgage rates came back down below 5% for a few months at the beginning of the year. And that was enough to see sales, sales pick up and prices stabilize. But obviously now mortgage rates are going to surpass the levels we saw last autumn, probably rise to around 6%. And that's going to mean that 
basically the cost of buying a home with a mortgage, which two thirds of buyers use, becomes too expensive or lenders simply aren't willing to um, allow them to borrow enough to buy homes at current prices. So we're going to see demand fall back. We're going to see mortgage approvals slump again and, and house prices take another leg down. Quite a grim picture you're painting then. Can you put some numbers on that in terms of transactions and prices? Where, where do our forecasts stand? Yep. So uh, on the transaction side, we have a 25% year-on-year fall in transactions this year compared to last. In the early part of the year, the transactions data hasn't actually been as bad as we anticipated because there was a lot of cash buyer activity in the market. But mortgage approvals have been were very weak, and we think they're going to fall more like 30 to 40% compared to last year. And that that is evident in the outturns to date. Transactions tend to take a little bit longer to fall off. And then in terms of house prices, we had a 4% fall between last summer and the beginning of the year. Then we had a plateau. And we think now that we'll probably get a further 8% fall between now and sort of the middle of next year, which would give us a 12% drop in house prices in total. A key point in your report goes through the, the, the macroeconomic impact of households coming out of mortgage deals that were fixed when rates were at record low levels into this current rate environment. Talk through what happens to those households, what that means for the market, what that means for the, for the UK economy itself. Yes, yeah, so I think the key point on this refinancing debate that's obviously all in the headlines at the moment, a lot of worry that people won't be able to afford these increases. I think the key thing that we'd emphasize is that the distribution and the scale of the increase in repayments when people are coming to the end of their fixed rate deals is massively uneven. So, you know, there are people who are very vulnerable, particularly those who are on a two-year fix, probably sort of first-time buyers in 2021, they are going to go from, you know, a mortgage rate of below 2% to about 6%. They are going to see their mortgage payment increase by 50%, particularly if they can't do anything like extend the term on the mortgage in order to reduce the, the repayments. So there are people that are going to see a very large increase in interest costs. However, I think it's important to remember as well that we have had sort of stress tests in place and actually, you know, we are within the envelope of the stress test that these bulk buyers had to pass. But I think there are still going to be some people that are probably with when you take into account other pressures on households budgets, like the fact consumer prices are 18% higher than they were two years ago. Yeah, there's probably some people that aren't going to be able to afford their repayment. But that is a minority of borrowers. You know, if you look at the sort of the amount that people are paying on their mortgage across the distribution of all outstanding mortgages, it's much lower. Lots of people have had their mortgage for several years and they'll have the opportunity to extend the term of the repayments, which does help a lot. It takes, you know, hundreds of pounds potentially off the repayments. So I think it's quite a small pocket of borrowers that, that could be affected. But the thing that we're maybe not talking about so much is that usually arrears and repossessions, it takes quite a while for them to rise. It's not the initial increase in the cost of payments that causes the problem. It's when, you know, higher interest costs cause the economy to slow. In fact, feeds into unemployment. And it's that dramatic change in household incomes that tends to correlate much better with arrears and repossessions. We've got quite a sanguine view on unemployment, but I think the way things are going, you know, if that were... We were to have a deeper recession and higher unemployment than we expect. That would be the real risk on the sort of mortgage arrears and repossessions front. And looking ahead, I guess the other key point you make is that you know, despite the hysteria in the headlines, you, uh, 
our view is that the that bank rate and mortgage rates are going to rise to a level that that constrict activity, get a grip on inflation, putting the Bank of England in position to to cut rates in 2024. Can you talk through that a little bit? Yeah. So you know, whatever we're at a point now where exactly how high mortgage rates and bank rates peak is sort of a little almost a little bit academic. Like it will impact the activity figures in the housing market. But I think it's all about where mortgage rates settle that's going to set the overall size of the drop in house prices we see. Now, our view is that, you know, bank rate of 5.25% and mortgage rates of around 6% will be sufficient to see inflation cool back to target towards the back end of next year. And obviously that will allow bank rate and mortgage rates to come down. We think mortgage rates will be back at sort of 4% by the end of, by the end of next year. And that helps limit the fall in house prices to about 12%, we think, which is still a 20% drop in real terms, which is the same as in the financial crisis. However, if we're wrong on that, and despite these quite significant interest rate rises now, the economy remains resilient, inflation doesn't come down, and and, and we see mortgage rates stay at 6% for a longer period, then that, that really would be consistent with a with a larger correction, perhaps 25% in nominal terms and a, and a half in real terms, because ultimately, yes, a lot of the you know, house price inflation since has been driven by lower, lower interest rates. And yeah, a permanent reversal of that would be extremely damaging. And that's the big tail risk here. But our view is that we just can't see the economy and inflation you know, being resilient, staying high with interest rates at those kind of levels. That was Andrew Wishart on UK housing in a world of surging interest rates. I'll post his report in the podcast notes. And finally, Kieran Raichura and Matthew Poynton head our respective coverage of the US and UK commercial property markets. They spoke earlier in the week about the similarities and differences in the outlook for those markets. Here's that conversation, and it starts with Kieran giving a state of play for the US commercial market. Since the end of 2021, we've seen this really sharp rise in interest rates, which has been impacting on valuations in the sector. We also seen the slowdown in economic growth. And we're expecting to see a recession still later this year. And then obviously in the last few months, we've had the banking crisis, which has also weighed on the sector, particularly on the lending side of things so far. And in terms of performance for US property, then we've seen roughly a 7.5% fall in prices so far since the middle of last year. Yeah, we still think there's a lot more to go. But that, that's actually quite different to the story in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, so the UK was actually ahead of the curve, I think, in terms of the correction in the commercial market. So far in the UK, we've seen a drop of around 18% in capital values from their peak last year. A lot of that is down to industrial assets, which became, we think, pretty overvalued last year. There was a bit too much froth in that market and they'd come down 26%. But yeah, so overall the UK, I think is ahead. A lot of that is down in turn to the mini budget last year, which is really a trigger in the UK. That, that set interest rates soaring and led to pressure on property funds, many of which were in fact forced um, gate withdrawals. And that just really, you know, I think set the cat on the pigeons and uh, we saw a big correction in, in, in UK commercial property values. The good news, though, is that because the UK has got it out of the way relatively early, I think the outlook in the UK is, is a bit stronger than in the US. Yeah, I think there could be parallels drawn between that trigger that you mentioned and like the banking crisis in the US. So we certainly think that that's going to have a big impact over the coming um, months and quarters. Although actually so far, 
Certainly the Q1 data didn't reflect that, although maybe we wouldn't have expected that too. But also the Starwood REIT, which publishes monthly performance data, its April data actually wasn't too bad as well. So it's not clear yet that it's actually coming through in the performance numbers, but we certainly think that is going to happen. So overall, we, we think there's going to be around a 22% fall in prices at the all property level in the US. So that's another 15% or so to go. And you know, that, if we think about why that's the case, essentially we think interest rates at this current level are pretty much roughly where they're going to stay, particularly in terms of longer term rates. And as a result, cap rates need to rise to reestablish appropriate risk premiums against those rates. And then, yeah, we could talk about sectors maybe in a second, in, in a bit more detail in a second, but certainly as far as sectors go in the US, you know, offices are the ones that we're expecting to be worst hit and they are already the one that is most, most impacted so far. So you know, I talked about seven and a half percent fall in values at the all property level, but for offices, we've seen around 14% in the last, in the last year already, which contrasts with the other sectors, which are closer to five or 6%. So yeah, I mean, so what's the outlook for the UK then? Obviously, like I said, the US data hasn't been as bad as we expected recently, but I think there's been some positive signs in the UK recently, haven't there? Yeah, well, I think certainly the the, the US banking crisis hasn't really impacted on the UK much at all. We were slightly worried there might be some spillover effects, but if anything, credit conditions have loosened slightly since since the US banking crisis. UK banks, you know, they're not too exposed to, to commercial property this time around. You know, back in the global financial crisis, like around 12% of their loan books were on commercial property. And that today that's only around 7%. So they're a lot less exposed and uh, plus lending standards have been much tighter. So LTVs typically been below 60%. So banks are pretty well placed to, to, to withstand what we've seen so far in cap values and to keep on lending. In fact, we've seen that in the Bank of England lending numbers. There's been no real sign of a, a large drop in, in lending to property. In fact, it's, it's picked up in the last month. That said, we were sort of thinking the worst is behind us. We still think that, but we had that inflation number a couple of weeks ago, which was higher than expected. And that's pushed interest rates back up. And because of that, we think there is a little further to go, a little further rise in yields, a little further drop in cap values, maybe another 5% from here. But given we've already seen 18%, obviously the, the worst is behind us. And after this year, we think things will start to, to pick up as A, the economy starts to recover and B, interest rates start to trend back down. Right. Okay. Does that mean we get positive capital value growth next year then? Yes. But I mean, it's not going to be anywhere like what we've seen in recent years. So we've got sort of just over 2% cap value growth in 2024. You know, we had 11% in 2021. So a much calmer sort of market, we think, after 2024. Yields pretty much stable, a slight fall. But what that does mean is that with yield stable and cap value is not doing much, returns really going to be driven by the income performance of the various sectors. Yeah. And we, we can go into that in more detail. Certainly UK, the higher income returning sectors, things like retail, which has been, you know, sort of the, the sector to avoid until recently. But given this higher income returns, I think it's a sector now we, we can start looking at again. And, and at the other end of the spectrum, in terms of worse income returns, are offices. They're, so they've not only got a bad income return, but as we've already mentioned, they've got a pretty bad structural outlook given the, the working from home trend we're seeing. So uh, yeah, I think offices are going to underperform compared to higher income assets such as retail. Is that similar in the US? Yeah, so it's a very similar picture in terms of the sectors that we think are going to be best and worst performers, both in the next year or so and you know over any kind of period, whether you take a three or five year period. 
I mean, I can just kind of give context as well in terms of our outlook for the US relative to the UK. So, you know, you talked about a small further capital value for this year and then an increase in values, a small increase in values next year. Whereas in the US, we've got, you know, it is very much behind the curve in our, in our estimation anyway. So, you know, we've got another 15% fall in values this year and then another 4% next year and then pretty much just a stabilization of values in 2025. So it's definitely delayed or, or later. Um, and it's also, you know, overall or even less of a recovery than the UK. And I think that does to some extent come down to what we're expecting to see with offices in the US because they are going to be, in our view, much, much more impacted than they have than they are anywhere else in in, in Europe, certainly. And and even more so compared to Asia Pac, where there's been a big return to offices that you know we it's kind of the other extreme from the US. So for offices, we're expecting to see yeah, total price fall of a re- just over 30%, which is still 15% or so of that to come. Whereas at the other end of the spectrum, we've got retail where we expect to see maybe another 5% pretty much this year. And then, you know, stabilization and recovery from kind of mid next year onwards. So very different performance. And again, with retail, as you talked about in the UK, there is a higher income return in the US. And I think it's certainly the sector that could start offering some opportunities. I think people need to, you know, know what they're doing with retail assets, but in terms of kind of the, the headline numbers, it certainly looks like a sector that could start to offer you know, kind of more widespread opportunities in the, in the coming year or two. Yeah. And just, just back to the office's point, I mean, in the US, there's certainly a, a big regional disparity as well, right? I mean, the UK, smaller country, less difference across the sectors. The site, I mean, I can go back to it, but certainly in the US, I think places like San Francisco basically badly hit, right? Yeah. So we're forecasting values in San Francisco to fall by 50% peak to trough. And that's because it is the worst impacted office market and actually really the worst impacted city in the US in the last few years. As far as offices goes, you know, we have this data from Castle Systems that measures key card swipes in office buildings in like the biggest cities. And the national average is around 50% and it's been kind of bumbling around there for a while now with no real sign of improvement. And in San Francisco, it's more like 35%. And it's also worth saying that those are not 35% of capacity numbers. It's 35% of late 2019, early 2020 numbers. So the true usage is you know, way lower than that number. So, you know, there've been stories about assets being sold at huge markdowns from their, from their peak values. So there was one in San Francisco that got transacted at 75% below its previous transaction value. So some people are taking some really large hits on these assets. And you've also got others that are being handed back to the banks because they just don't make economic sense for the, for the investors anymore. Yeah, I don't think we've seen anything quite that bad in the UK. I mean, in London, there is a bit of a divergence between the West End and the city. The city's got quite a large pipeline coming through and the vacancy there has recently hit sort of 13 year highs. The West End, much tighter. You can't really build new buildings in the West End. It's hard to build up. So the vacancy rate there is pretty close to its average. And that is driving some, some new behavior from developers. So developers have seemed to shift from new builds to refurbishments. We had the Deloitte Crane survey came out recently, which showed the West End now has more new starts than the city. That's a very unusual sort of development. And that's mainly down to these refurbishments. Refurbishing old buildings, a couple of reasons for that. A, these environmental EPC regulations sort of getting ahead of the curve. We need to make your buildings as environmentally friendly as possible. And also I think tenants are demanding best in class space. And, you know, refurbishment's one way to achieve that. And 
by doing so, you can you can sort of attract workers back into the office. The working from home revolution is still developing, still waiting to see where, where it bottoms out. I mean, it's been pretty stable in recent months. So I think we're getting to a, some, sort, some sort of equilibrium in terms of the working from home share. In London, it's around 60% of workers work from home at least some of the time, which is much higher than the UK average of around 40%. And firms, you know, it's taking, taking time for them to, to adjust to that. What is interesting, I think, is that most of that is hybrid work. When the pandemic kicked off and we did our first forecast, we thought there'd be more full-time working from home. It turns out that that's quite rare. I think A, firms like people to come in and B, you know, people, you know, they get sick of being in the home all the time and likes to come in the office at least once or twice a week. And that throws up challenges to how to, how can you save space when you still have people coming into the office two or three days a week and often the same days, Tuesdays to Thursdays. So I think firms are still working through that, but that's going to still be a long-term drag, I think, on, on office demand in, in the UK, if not to quite the same extent as we've seen in some US cities. Yeah, and I think it's worth saying that, you know, these these changes are very much structural and things that we think are going to persist. So, you know, if you compare it with the, the losses we've seen in the retail sector since, you know, like 2017 in the US when it kind of hit its peak, we and you and you haven't really seen much of a recovery in values. And and you've seen and you saw the same in REITs at the time where they had this big drop off in 2017 in, in the US and then kind of saw a little bit of improvement after, but it certainly wasn't a sharp bounce back. And I think that's the point we'd make in terms of the outlook for offices, at least, and particularly in the US, where there is this structural change. So yes, while there's this adjustment that you know I spoke about earlier to the higher rates for offices, there's also this big downward adjustment relating to the income stream itself, which is falling substantially. Where that ends up ultimately, you know, we've obviously got a view on, but it's still uncertain, and obviously investors are going to continue to price in that uncertainty as well. So it's definitely going to be. A tough few years for office investors, particularly those people who need to sell. And that's aside from the issues that, you know, we could talk about in terms of the debt market where in a, again, in the U S like lenders are not looking at re refinancing office loans, essentially. And there are messages from the U S U S lending teams when they're working with UK lending teams that they don't want to lend on offices in Europe, but that's based on what they see in the U S rather than actually maybe what they're seeing in Europe. Cause like you say, the picture in the UK and other parts of Europe isn't quite as bad. That was Kieran Raitura and Matt Poynton on the similarities and differences in outlook for US and UK commercial property. That's it for this special episode. You can find all of our property coverage, including of UK and US housing and UK, US and European commercial markets on our website, capitaleconomics.com. If you're a property investor, remember, CE Advance, our premium platform, gives you all of our sectoral coverage, as well as our macro insight, a wealth of relevant proprietary data, and the interactive tools to incorporate them into your workflows. The weekly briefing podcast is available each Monday, presented by me, David Wilder, and Group Chief Economist Neil Shearing. Subscribe from Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts from. And until next time, goodbye. Whilst this podcast is provided with all reasonable skill and care, it comprises the subjective views of our economists. Furthermore, these views are not opinions, nor do they constitute investment or financial advice, or are they guarantees or reassurances to the expected results of any investment products or outcome. You should seek your own specific advice in relation to questions you may have. We will have no liability to you in relation to this podcast whatsoever.